You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Well, good to see you guys. I know most people, but my name is Matt, one of the leaders here. Um, And uh, I'm excited to get into another parable today. So if you've, uh, I think we're in our third parable. Um, and if you uh, haven't caught the last two, uh, you can go back and podcast those. I think the first one is just on audio podcast, um, but you can look on our YouTube and stuff. But it's just so cool to see Jesus working through these stories and telling us. And I, like we've always said and kind of how we introed it, these parables aren't just stories. Like you can take a parable and just say, here you go, and it can teach you some sort of moralistic truth, some sort of thing. But he's trying to show us a whole new way of life, bring a whole new value system by engaging engaging the mind, by engaging imagination, by putting your whole self into a scenario about it. Um, so if you have a Bible with you today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Uh, you can turn to it on your smartphone. It'll be up on the screen. Um, but uh, one thing, so when we were talking about this parable series, so I don't know if you've noticed, but we've actually picked parables that are just in the gospel of Luke. So Luke is really specific. I think there's 18 parables that are just in Luke, whereas a lot of the parables are, you could read them in Matthew, and then there's another version in Mark, and so on, that kind of thing. So there's about 18 unique ones that are just in Luke, um, and so we picked nine of them for this series. So these are very specific. We kind of get a little Lukean theology as we're going, and if you've ever read through Luke, it's really good and detailed. It's very kingdom-centered, which is great. Um, This is in Luke chapter 12, and if you are reading in the Gospel of Luke, which I would encourage you maybe today or or go back this week and just read Luke 1 through up to where we're at, Luke 12, you'll see that Jesus has been doing some incredible things, like typical Gospel narratives. He's been healing, he's been uh, praying over people, casting out demons, um, teachings, feedings, he's calmed a couple of storms, some incredible stuff. He's also doing an incredible job of ticking a lot of people off (laughs) and making a lot of people mad. Um, He's not here to just be everybody's buddy, right? Like the Pharisees are not wearing like a Jesus is my homie snapback here. They're not doing that. Um, Especially if you go to Luke chapter 11, Jesus is as ruthless as he is compassionate to the religious leaders. He's calling them out specifically, and you can go read this in chapter 11, he's calling them out for kind of their two-faced, clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. He even has this analogy where he's like, you're like a bull that you keep washing the outside, but the inside's just grimy and gross, which is a lot like our stuff at our house with our kids. But um, those, he's also saying those dealing with the temple taxes is like, hey, you're taxing everybody, and you're wanting more and more, and yet there's so many people in the outskirts of the temple that are just suffering and in need, and you're just caring about what you can get. And instead of making God available to all people, you're kind of restricting access and saying, no, this is only for the elite. So Jesus is here, and he is making some powerful enemies. Now, we've said this in the series of Mark. We said this in our, our John series. Sometimes, like, we, we just, it's kind of fun to rail on the Pharisees, right? They're just like, oh, they're this group that you can kind of be like, they didn't get it, and stuff like that. So the Pharisees aren't, it's not like they're all just completely corrupt. Like, mo- most of actually what we can, uh, we can uh, attribute to the written word that we have is because of the work of the Pharisees. Like, they did an incredible job taking the oral law of Moses passing it down through generations, and then as it's continually said and said and said, they were a group and the scribes and the lawyers that actually kept it and preserved it. So it's not like the Pharisees are just this like crazy group. But what happens is they get so detailed 
And they get so minute in the laws and the, and the rules and all this stuff that they kind of forget the big picture, right? I like to consider myself a little bit of a nerd. I like to. I like to be put in that category, okay? But, but not because I'm smart, but because I, I, like, I like to just know random things that don't mean anything to anybody, right? That's just what I kind of enjoy. And especially if it's like fantasy lore, like I love Lord of the Rings stuff, right? Any, anyone watching the show Rings of Power? Pretty good, okay. This last episode, oh my heavens, Batman. Like it was so good. If you're not watching the show, you should be reading your Bible or something better because it is so good. <laughs> Please, but anyways, it is, it, this last episode was so good. Um, anyways, I can like, I can just talk about Lord of the Rings all the time. I, I could just nerd out on like the Similarillion. We can talk about all sorts of like where the elves come from, like all this stuff, and I love that, but I can also totally forget just like the narrative of just like good versus evil. I can kind of forget that there's this light in the darkness. There is good in the world, even when it seems like it's going into chaos. And sometimes that's what happens with the Pharisees. They're just so minute to the detail. They're getting so nitty-gritty, kind of forgetting the big-picture heart of God. So back to the Scriptures, Jesus, God in the flesh, He's come around to remind those who are lost and outcast, and also those who think they have it made and are found, kind of putting them back in the middle to saying, we need to get back to the heart of God. And if you really listen to Jesus and his teachings, you kind of end up either loving him or hating him, because he's going to kind of rub either way, right? So look at this. At the end of chapter 11, look at his last interaction, how it ended with the religious leaders. This is 1153. And as he, being Jesus, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So this is kind of the lines being drawn now, where like Jesus has ticked them off just enough to now they're like, they're going to just press and press and press until he says something they can trip, that, that trip them up and they can use it. Um, but Jesus, what he's doing, he's challenging the status quo. Right? He's calling out the value system at the time because he's bringing a whole new way to live, a whole new value system, and he's calling it the kingdom of God. Now, the religious leader's value system was full of hypocrisy, as we've seen a lot of it, right? They claim to follow this God and obey his ways, but the fruit of their lives is contrary to how God said they're supposed to live. So part of that hypocrisy is because of what can be gained in life, fame, fortune, importance, popularity, right, the opportunity of making much of themselves. Now, real briefly, I, I, this is a bit of a tangent, so take it or leave it, but I feel like often in culture, there's this kind of cultural current that happens, right? It's the value system that's all around that's just kind of this flowing waters, and it's really easy to just kind of fall into that, right? It's just, it's natural, you're going, right? And they kind of believe that, the, the Pharisees here believe this is, this is what we're creating for people, this natural current of this is what it looks like to follow God. This is what it looks like to be holy. This is what, you know, so people naturally kind of fall into that. Now, when I was a youth pastor, I would ask my students, especially the older high school students, like, hey, you know, what are some values you have beyond high school? What are some plans you have for your life? This kind of thing. And, and this was a few years ago, but like, almost every time the students would say, well, I'm going to be famous. <laughs> like, that was like the baseline, not even like, I'm going to get a job. It's like, I'm going to be famous. 
That's what they did. The crazy thing is, our cultural current tells them you can be. Like, A, if you, I mean, if you have a phone and a semi-interesting life, you can just, you know, take selfies every day and maybe get Instagram famous. If you just want to make a really dumb video that's funny, that goes viral, you can get famous. Like, the bar has dropped really low. And the thing about, <laughs> I mean, unless, if you want to be famous, I mean, go for it. But in my opinion, I said, take it or leave it. I said, um, but what happens, there's this cultural current, right? And the, ki- and the, the students, they would like, they kind of fall into like, this is it. And what happens when you're in that current is you believe that like, this is all there is. This is all there is. This is the way it has to be because no, there couldn't be something outside of this. There couldn't be a different current. There couldn't be something that goes the other way, right? So what happens is Jesus, he shows up and what he does is he just, he just like throws a log on the current. He's kind of he's damming up and disrupting this cultural current that's naturally happening. And he's saying to him, questioning if this is really the heart of God here. So we get to chapter 12 into our context where the Pharisees are pretty upset with him. And we get into this context now where he's about to tell this parable. So this is chapter, Luke chapter 12, verse 13, as Daniel read for us. He's got this crowd in front of him, and someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so Jesus is a, is a first century Jewish rabbi, and Jewish rabbis, even if you weren't necessarily a disciple of that rabbi, the rabbis were still just really important figures in culture. And so they would be asked a lot of questions of like, they're just wise, you know? And so what, what would this be? And so this person's yelling out, Give, I, I want my inheritance from my brother. Uh, Verse 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So instead of answering right then and there what the man's brother should do, Jesus does what Jesus does better than anyone, and he gets to the heart of the matter. Think about this. If a man yelling from among a crowd in front of tons of people, and most likely his brother, who's also there, and yelling this out, let him give me the inheritance. There's a couple things happening. Either he's trying to prove a point to his brother, he's trying to get the answer that he wants, so he can say, hey, the rabbi told you, right? Or him and his brother are actually humbly trying to figure this out. What should we do? But it's definitely kind of suspect to be yelling this pretty private manner out very publicly in front of everyone. Most likely, he just wants the rabbi to say, sure, what it's owed to you is good, you know, that kind of thing. But Jesus answers instead about coveting. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, what would they have known? What would have been burned in them from birth, right? The, the law, the law of Moses. If you just go back to Exodus 20, 17, what was, the, what was the commandment here? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, right? And then, of course, if the question comes up, well, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Like in Luke chapter 10, two chapters before, is the Good Samaritan. So go read that, okay, and you'll get that. But this man knows the commandments, and he's yelling it out, and and Jesus knows what's deeper in their heart. And this is the point. This is the point where they're a little bit confused where Jesus tells a story. He told a parable. Let me read it, and then we're going to work through it. He told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. 
and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, so he tells them this story. Let's break it down real quick. First line, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Okay, so we all get this pretty simple. There's a rich man. He has land. His crop's doing well. It's a good season for him. It's doing so well, in fact, that he doesn't know what to do with all his crops. So he has too much crop, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. Verse 18, he says, okay, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I have more crops, so I need bigger storerooms. I'll tear down what I already have to build bigger so I can hold more crops. Okay, we're tracking so far? And then this man in the story, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. It's kind of like looking in a mirror and saying like, well done, good and faithful servant to yourself right? You did it. You had much, so you built for yourself much, so you could have much for a long time, and now you can sit back and drink the bubbly. Why? Because you have secured your future here on earth. And I bet at this point in this story, everyone is like, this is a great story. Like, wow, like, amen, and come on, Jesus. Like, that's exactly what we want. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. This is exactly what we want. Remember, most of the people in the crowd are tradesmen, merchants, farmers, entrepreneurs. Like, they, this is the goal. This is what they want, to have so much, the plenty that they can store so the work can be easier. Now, let me ask, like, for all of us, is it that much different today? Is it that much different, right? I mean, it's funny that, like, we're talking first century A.D. We're in 21st century A.D., 2,000 years. It looks different. Same dream, right? You don't have to be American to have this dream. Like, we want plenty so the work can be easier. It's totally natural, right? Now, think of the man in the narrative who yelled out about his brother's inheritance right now. He's got dollar signs in his eyes, like, yes, Jesus is setting this up. This is good. He's about to tell my brother to give it to. This will be great. But Jesus continues, and he says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Like, this is the gut punch part, right? The KO, right? Like the toe tag on the body bag kind of moment, right? This is what reverses the whole order of what's important here. The man in the story looked at his life, his soul, and said, great job based on what he had here on earth. But the God of heaven came, and he wants what only heaven can receive, the soul, without the stuff right? The man's soul not based on what he has on earth. So Jesus looks out over the crowd. He tells the story, drops the huge bomb, looks out, and I bet it would be very quiet at this point. And then he concludes, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's how he concludes the story. So Jesus, remember, he was just coming off calling out the Pharisees for their corruption, their hypocrisy, 
He's now calling out people in general for their kind of general greed and coveting what they do not have because they, have, they, had, they wanted the value of the day, and that was what the Pharisees created, which was to be in. To be in, right? To be a part of the crew. But Jesus is revealing that God in His righteous reign in His kingdom desires the soul, desires the person, not just the stuff on the outside. In fact, the stuff should reflect the person's heart. Think about it. In the parable, what was the problem the rich man came up with? The problem was that he didn't have proper storage for all of his crop, right? That was what he thought was the problem. But the real problem was that he had an overabundance of crop and an ungenerous heart, right? He didn't have a stuff problem. He had a stewardship problem. And this is why having stuff Jesus isn't railing on stuff here. Stuff is not bad. Making it, you know, big in in society is not evil. Being successful is not against God's way. It's just what you do with what you are given, right? The rich man in the story thought, how can I store this all up for myself versus how can I use what I've been given for the benefit of those around me? which ironically is part of the story, right? Because if the man in the story doesn't give up his stuff generously, it's still going to get given up to somebody when he passes away. And again, this is not a new problem. So this is why we can go throughout Scripture, we could pick any story, but I want to go to the great King Solomon, the great King Solomon, and quote him here. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon saw this. This is what he says, "'I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun.'" seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Right? The the wise King Solomon even saw it. This is just human nature. We just, we can't take the stuff with us. So this can naturally build up some anxiety. Okay, okay, Jesus, so we're not supposed to build up for ourselves like the security or have a bunch of stuff or worry about what we'll eat or wear or anything. And again, in all the parables, we can't just take the story. The story is powerful, but it's always trying to prove a bigger point. So we need to go beyond the parable here. And classically, Jesus isn't going to answer every question or fear or anxiety, but he addresses the general spirit of what the people of God should be about. So go to verse 22, chapter 12. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And then he gives two examples of birds and flowers, right? Verse 24, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus is like, let's just take something that we all can understand. Like, let's take birds as an example of God providing exactly what they need. It may not mean more than another bird. It may mean, it may mean overabundance. It may mean less. The teaching is not about being a, a, a bird. It's about seeing that this is the nature of the bird. The bird goes, gets for that day what it needs for that day, and that's kind of the soul of the bird. That's what the bird is for. 
And he says, okay, let me give you another one. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? I love thinking of flowers as clothes for grass. So good. If God cares about that, then how much more will he provide for his humans? Again, the soul, the heart, the nature of the flower is to be clothed, not to toil or spin for it. So now Jesus turns it here to human examples. Verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So Jesus here makes a differentiation now between the world and the people of God. God knows the heart of humans and what it means to live and make a living. This is not just like a have-nothing minimalist teaching. This is a teaching on where you're putting your trust in, right? For a good example of this, again, I mentioned King Solomon. Uh, You can turn there if you want, but in 1 Kings 3, we read about this great, wise King Solomon, who's much of what the people would look back on for wisdom and discernment. And it's so crazy. If If you go into it real quick, um, he wasn't perfect. He did some stuff that wasn't great, whatever, but he, ha- he kind of fell into this dream vision in 1 Kings 3, this kind of dream vision where he's worshiping God, right, and he's, and he's with God in his presence, and, and God, he, he wanted to ask God for something. And it wasn't a wealth. It wasn't long life. It wasn't to have three more wishes, right? He says this, okay, 1 Kings 3, 9. He says, God, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? So he asked for wisdom. Check out God's response. 1 Kings 3, uh, about 11. It says, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commands, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." Like, just as an example here, Solomon asked for wisdom because he wanted to lead well and trust in God, and God overabundantly blessed him in other ways. And if you, if you know, this is a quick side story, if you know Solomon's story, in this, literally when he wakes up from that dream, he's not sure if, like, was that a dream? Was that real? He goes out, and this is that famous story where the two women come together, and they have a, a baby, and they're like, it's my baby, it's my baby, it's my baby, and Solomon's like, well, cut it in half and give it to the real mother, and the real mom's like, no, she can have it, and he's like, that's the real mom. That is how he knows. God gave him wisdom. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. It's a cool story. You should go read it. But all that is a setup, Jesus' final words for our teaching today right? God is the good father of his children. 
He isn't asking his kids to have nothing, to be unhappy, to hate all material possessions, but he's asking his children to not put their faith in anything they can build up for themselves or that can be taken away, right? If they are blessed with materials or wealth or wisdom or good hair or good skin or whatever, then it is from the Lord and it is for the Lord. Listen to what he says. He continues to say this to his followers, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Man, that's powerful. It's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom, right? This man, you're asking for your brother's inheritance, but the children of God who put their faith in Him inherit God's kingdom, right? Wow. So, so, okay, so then what should we do on earth? Let's get practical. Verse 33 here. Jesus says, all right, so here, if you have that mindset, if you have that heart, then sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Right? Your God is a great provider for you, so now you can go be a great provider for others. Right? Share in the great blessing of God that he has lavished upon you, not to keep for yourself, but you are blessed to then be a blessing. And this will reveal your heart, because Jesus concludes here famously, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, as I mentioned, we kind of designed this series around Luke's parables, but Matthew has a very similar teaching. It actually doesn't have that uh, parable, but he goes into this with a little bit different wording of, of the conclusion. I want to kind of get into it. So this is Matthew chapter 6, where he's giving some of these same instructions. And he, again, he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And this is verse 24. His conclusion in Matthew is, but no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the conclusion with Matthew's version is recognizing this kind of more master language, what has a hold on you, right? This language is, is kind of for the servant to be truly devoted to one or the other, but not both. So one will either be a servant to one or the other, and God puts forth here between God and money. In our Luke version that we've been studying today, he puts against security of stuff versus generosity and provision by God. Now, I would imagine, especially for first century, that security of stuff and money are probably really similar to the same kind of issue, right? Both are pitted against trusting God and allowing Him to be the provider for which makes him Lord. And this kind of master-servant language is actually kind of crucial because both of those are masters, and then the people under them would be the subjects because what happens is the people become the product of what is the master over them, of what keeps their attention, right? So if people are dependent on stuff, then stuff becomes the master. That becomes the thing that you live But the goal is to be dependent upon God as the good Father. So, Hub City, like this parable today is for us to see this kingdom, this new kingdom value of trust in God. Trust in the good Father, King of the kingdom, which will mean plentiful blessing on his children, but it might look different than what we would build up for ourselves. 
Today is not about material wealth. Today is about prioritizing what's really important, making sure our souls are properly aligned with the values of God's kingdom. Remember, in the story, the whole idea, this is not a stuff problem. This is a stewardship problem. It's about putting what matters first, trusting the rest will follow as God wants it to. And our role, I believe, is, is not to worry over our stuff or have guilt over having more than we should or envy of, of always feeling like we have less than we want. But either way, the middle ground is the grace of God coming together, right? Coming, coming here, walk in my ways, trust in me for your needs, and I will bless you with what I've given you to then go be a blessing wherever I have placed you, which is such freedom, right? Because you're not attaining, you're not working towards trying to get into a different thing. You're just saying, God, here I am. How can I be used for your good kingdom? So I want to end with just some reflection questions for all of us, because we all have different, we all have different lives, we all have different lifestyles. So here's some reflection questions for us as we go into response today. Do we have this new kingdom value system of, of uh, trust in God to provide? Are we a people, and ask yourself this question, and we also need to ask as a church in general, are we a people who have generous, giving hearts? What or who are we putting our trust in daily? What are our future hopes in? Are we stewarding well what God has given us? And the beautiful conclusion for us is that it's never too late to be generous, right? It's never too late to turn to God as Lord of what we have. It's never too late or early to be thankful for what we've already been given. And we're going to reflect on that, and everything is because of the grace of Christ. And a lot of that starts now with our response to it, right? The story, the parable is pretty simple, but it's got deep roots of meaning, right? Everyone needs to check on their own life, and we need to check as a church in general. In the city, in Albany, would people say, man, Hub City in general, as a body, are generous people. They've been blessed with time, talent, treasures, like whatever you want to say, and so that they can bless the city. We need to be aware of that. We need to be in check of that, right? Are we stewarding what we have here well? And then also in our own individual lives and communities, are we stewarding are we, are we, what we've been blessed with? Are we blessing others? And that starts now. Honestly, just even when we always see our response, you know, is sing, uh, sing, pray, give, receive. It was kind of these funny things, mostly for us to remember <laughs> all the things that we do. But it's super, we like putting it up there every time because it's, it's kind of this rhythm, right? Where it's like, no matter what's going on, if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling free, whatever, you can always, this is the moment of surrender. You can always just say singing praises to the Lord is surrender. It's saying, God, you are mighty. God, great is our God, right? I don't know what songs we're singing next, but it's just the, the richness of it, that we get to sing that. There's something that connects and releases, right? There's, there's prayer, right? I, I wanna, I'll be back there. If you need prayer over something, if you just want to uh, confess something or talk or pray, whatever, like please like grab a buddy, grab a um, spouse, friend, whatever. I'll pray with you. There's just, there's something powerful that happens with just praying in community. And then, of course, giving, right? We, just, we talk about our finances. Like, we live in America. It takes money to live. We get it. We all work hard for what we have. But we want to be a community that is pooling together so that we can bless 
everyone, whether it's outside of our church, it's inside of our church. Like, we just want to be a generous people and not have all these, um, you know, stagnant, like, oh, this is mine, that kind of thing, right? Freely given, freely received, freely given. And then most importantly, we always go to communion. That's the center of everything we do because we could teach all these things, but it's only because of the grace of Christ. I hope nobody ever hears from one of our sermons, like, you need to do better, give more, you know, go work at homeless shelters or whatever, like, please do all that stuff. But, but the key is, like, because Christ is changing us into new creation beings. The sacrifice he made on the cross to give up everything, to give up everything for us so that we, our souls, could be with God forever. That is the centering of what we are. So when you go and you take the, the cup and the cracker, just remember his body and his blood that was broken for us, that washed for us so that we could be the children of God and be actually allowed to enter into this kingdom of heaven, new value system. So let me pray for us as we just go and worship, and I just pray this is a surrendering time for us as a body. Let me pray.